Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Well, hello. There you are. <laughs> nice to nice to be back. It's uh, November 30th in this god-awful year of 2020, and uh, it's a Monday, and uh, our first our first show in what about three and a half weeks, I think. So um, here I am, surgically altered, and I think uh, pretty pretty much uh, okay. Um, if if I end up having to sort of like get up and walk around a little bit, that might happen. I don't know, but I think I'm good. I think I'm good to do this. Um, uh, surgery is a guy. I got to tell you. Um, well, who cares? You don't want to hear about my surgery. Um, anyway, uh, here I am with the help of a lot of people. I got uh, scaffolding around my spine and flying buttresses in there. Man, the x-rays are amazing. Actually, the x-rays of my body are are, are amazing. There's um, increasingly uh, t- more titanium uh, in it than uh, other connective, uh, normal connective tissue. <laughs> and and uh, uh, boy, if someone ever finds my bones uh, somewhere, they'll say, man, here's a body that got used. Yeah, it's really somewhat uh, daunting if uh, i keep this up i'm going to i'm going to have uh, probably more screws in me than uh, actually i did have loose screws um in my foot a few years back and one of those had to be extracted <laughs> so if uh, anyone ever says that uh, cullen has a screw loose it's uh it's probably true it, it's probably true. They do, after decades, sometimes sort of work themselves out. Okay, so anything happened while uh, I was gone? I uh, I took a real break just because I didn't have the energy um, or inclination for, I'd say, about 10 days um, uh, after the surgery. Uh, and, and it is. It's just like a, it's just like a friggin' soap opera. Uh, you jump back in after 10 days, two weeks, three weeks, and there's no change. It's the same crap, pretty much. It's uh, it's very easy to, to catch up. I think uh, the thing that's uppermost um, in my mind these days, however, is uh, is the surge that is coming the surge that we think is already here but um by all indications is going to really become horrific between now and the end of the year and all i can say to um all of you is is just please please uh let's get through this let's be let's be smart i've it's hard and it's hard to live in this stress and i i feel for for all of us i really do this is tough stuff and um 
I think it's a rare person now who doesn't know uh, somebody or be close to somebody, friend or family, who has contracted this uh, plague, who is now fighting it, or who has succumbed to it. And uh, the most maddening thing, of course, remains the uh, huge numbers of people who refuse to take this seriously, who somehow see it as a an attempt to take from them their own autonomy. Um, and I'm... I was saying to a friend the other day, I've learned more about human nature in these last months than I ever wanted to. Yes, there are wonderful humans in this world, but oh my God, we seem to have a surfeit of some pretty awful, selfish, and even evil people and I don't think they know who they are (laughs) I don't think they do it's amazing to me the Pope himself wrote an opinion piece in the New York Times the other day and and he he said the same kind of uh, of thing it's a clear slap at at those who won't wear masks, those who see it as an infringement somehow on their on their God-given freedoms. And the Pope says of that, with, with some exceptions, governments have made great efforts to put the well-being of their people first. The exceptions have been some governments that shrugged off the painful evidence of mounting death with inevitable, grievous consequences. Who's he talking about there, I wonder? But most governments, the Pope said, acted responsibly imposing strict measures to contain the outbreak. Yet, he says, with the same astonishment that's that we feel, yet some protested, refusing to keep their distance, marching against travel restrictions, as if measures that governments must impose for the good of their people constitute some kind of political assault on their personal freedom. That's the only time in his whole op-ed that the Pope employed an exclamation point showing that he finds it unbelievable that people don't see that the good of all in a public health crisis so trumps their individual liberty to do what they selfishly, narcissistically 
want to do. And he says this, looking to the common good is much more than the sum of what is good for individuals. It means having a regard for all citizens and seeking to respond effectively to the needs of the least fortunate. But you see a lot of people see that as somehow anti-American because what they think of as the definition of American freedom is their individual right to do whatever they damn well please. And increasingly for some of those people, it means that government has no standing at all, that it cannot impinge, infringe upon that one right. Well, there's two. The right to do whatever they damn well please and the right to amass as many guns and weapons of destruction as they can. Can you imagine that that is what millions of Americans have taken away from what we were given in the Constitution of the United States. And the Pope says, if we are to come out of this less selfish than when we went in, we have to let ourselves be touched by others' pain. But you see, here's what I've learned about human nature. There are people incapable of feeling others' pain. One currently sits in the White House. And so many of those who follow him with a, a cultish reverence have the same deficiency. They are only capable of feeling their own pain. Well, we're stuck with them. And the big question is, what are we going to do about them? I don't know. I just don't know. This is something positive I, I want to say. <laughs> Amidst all of this and the election, One thing that did happen, and much to my astonishment, and much, I'm sure, to the astonishment of an awful lot of other people, given what we feared, is how well our election apparatus worked. This was probably the most secure 
safest, truly every vote counted election in the country's history. And it came with more Americans than ever exercising their, we call it a right, I call it a responsibility, to to vote. And of course, it is that, this election that worked. And it worked because of people. People all over the country who watched the polls, who worked at the polls, volunteers and county officials and people who are never given any credit for anything, but who made it work. And in the end, with even the President of the United States calling them, begging them to somehow subvert the process, almost to a man and woman, they said no. Granted, there have been some exceptions. But how perfect that the most extraordinary assault on our election system from the losing president in our history as a nation came with probably the most secure election in our history. And failed miserably, humiliatingly for him. All his conspiracy theories, all his what did he pour into Wisconsin? How many millions of dollars to have that vote recounted? And all it did was give Biden more votes. Our system held. And I want to take a moment to thank the many honorable Republicans who held firm, even conservative, Trump-loving, Trump-appointed Republicans who held firm. A city clerk in Rochester Hills, Michigan, who was under intense pressure. And when she stood firm, then was under intense threats, telephone calls, emails. She said, I feel safe. My husband is a deputy sheriff. 
but we are upgrading our security system in our house. It's just devastating, she said. This is a 48-year-old woman, a graduate of Liberty University, Jerry Falwell's University. So she's everything that our side thinks of as a mindless, Trump-loving, religiously indoctrinated cult member of the Trump world. And she stood up and on social media said this, as a Republican, I am disturbed that this election is being intentionally mischaracterized to undermine the election process. I knew in relaying this truth, I was going to be opening myself up. And if I ever thought about running for office again, I knew that would be impacted. What she means is she will never win another election as a Republican. Think of all the Republicans in the Congress who that calculus calculation has has stopped in their tracks. Well, if I go up against him, if I say the truth, I'm going to get primaried and I'm going to be out of here. I've always found that somebody using that as an excuse does not realize that what they are saying is, I'm a coward. I am a person of little honor. I have forgotten the oath I took because now the only thing I want is to hang on to this cushy job with all its perks and power. That's what they're saying. And that they don't realize that they're telling us all, I'm a coward. And then the pundits talk about it like, well, there's concern because, of course, they could be prime acting like it is not something that should just be condemned. It's little women like this, little people like this, the clerk in Rochester Hills, Michigan, who also had power and she stood up against the President of the United States and exercised it and stood up against the mob that came for her and let go her political ambitions to do the right thing. These judges appointed by Trump, some of the ones he's packed the courts with, Federalist Society members who pass that stringent test 
they almost all have voted against him in these absurd cases. And they've been brutal in some of their opinions. So as much power as a president has, it turns out little people, little people standing up for what is right, for what is true, doing the honorable thing, not the thing that feathers their own nest, is still enough a part of the fabric of our nation. The Secretary of State of Georgia, the governor of Georgia, these are guys whose politics would make my hair curl. But guess what? They remind us that policy differences do not mean that someone is the enemy. These are honorable men with whom we vociferously disagree most of the time. But when push came to shove, there they were. And I just want to say I think that is so comforting and so huge. This was a coup attempt. And it failed because enough of our system held. So that you have Trump appointed lawyers, I mean judges saying this in batting away these absurd these absurd uh, cases that have been brought before them. Judge Stefanos Bibas, recent Trump appointee. Free, fair elections are the lifeblood of our democracy. And charges require specific allegations and then proof. We have neither here. What he was saying is our legal system is not like Twitter. It's not social media. It's not Fox News. It's not, it's not the President of the United States being able to claim this, that, and the other thing, make them up out of whole cloth. You have got to have proof and of course, they had none. None, because they've made it all up. This Trump appointee said voters, not lawyers, choose the president. Ballots, 
not briefs, decide elections. So, anytime you think we're become a total banana republic, just remember that at least. There are these good people who we might disagree with about a whole bunch of stuff. But they understand the most important thing. And they understand that truth exists and still has standing. The next amazing thing that happened was the monolith. I so love that story. The monolith. And it it got discovered right after I had rewatched a space odyssey, Kubrick's. I, by the way, rewatching that is up. It's really something. It was made in what? I think 1968. And so it was before, you know, the anything like the world we live in now, you know, with the computers and all of that. And, and this reimagining of, um, of the world, uh, and space travel, um, is, I mean, it, it was incredibly well done. I mean, there's not, you know, there was no computer generated anything in it because computers couldn't exist that did that. So it's all done, and, and, and the, it is beautiful in, in many ways. But the hist- and the monolith thing. So there's that amazing thing just popping up out of nowhere, and these apes, you know, like freaking out, jumping all over it, and astonished. They'd never seen, you know, not, nothing in the natural world look like that, and blah, blah, blah. And then, the, the, you know, a, two days later, I think after I watched it, pretty much the same thing popped up in the in the desert in 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 Utah. <laughs> it's pretty mind blowing. Oh, the other thing about Space Odyssey that I noticed, this is so funny, sorta. Of. Reminded me of the good old days. And I put that in quotes. Because while Kubrick is imagining this amazing world of traveling to other worlds, of uncovering, you know, astonishing things, um, of incredible powers that we can't even imagine. The one thing he couldn't imagine was women being anything more than secretaries and people who got you food. So all the women who appear in Space Odyssey 2001 are babes and they're secretaries. I think there's one that was supposed to be sort of like a scientist, but it wasn't clear. But they are. (laughs) And I was thinking, my God. The mind of man. 1968, 
could imagine unbelievable things, the space travel, you know, people being put in hibernation and brought out computers, pretty much running the whole operation. They could imagine all that, but they could not imagine women or people of color being any part of it. And so to watch it now, there is that jarring, that jarring sense of this is absurd. And as a classic movie lover, that's something that I have to fight a a lot because our heads really have been turned around. Again, a sign of wondrous progress and also the very thing that drives tens and millions, tens of millions of Americans to embrace somebody like Donald Trump. Because things have changed and they don't like it. They're threatened by the change. They liked that world where women were handmaidens and where white men ruled And so make no mistake, we are where we are now in large part because so many Americans cannot abide, cannot bear the thought of having to share their power their privilege. So the latest on the monolith is mind-blowing. It's disappeared. (laughs) I love it. You can't make that up. I love it. It showed up. People freaked out. A gallery owner in New York said it is quite clearly the work of artist John McCracken, this minimalist artist, uh, who did. His work does look like that, and he lived uh, in the desert for a long time. And he even told his own son he really liked the idea. I'll say exactly what the son says. The son said it was May of 2002 His father was living in New Mexico in a small adobe house overlooking a mesa. And the son says, we were standing outside looking at the stars. And he said something to the effect of that he would like to leave his artwork in a remote place to be discovered later. (laughs) So people really did think, oh, my God, he did it. He died, by the way, um, in 2000, I don't know what, he's been dead for a little while, Um, 2011, I think. So that was the general thing. Oh, my God, the guy did it. And, And the guy was, he was, he believed in time travel. He also believed in extraterrestrial life. He was a friend of Leonard Nimoy, the actor who played Spock on Star Trek and who also collected this artist's work. So when I read all that, I thought, oh my God, it really must be a McCracken. Somehow he got it out there. And 
Well, he's dead. He didn't go get it. So it's disappeared. It's gone. I love stories like that. I love stories like that. But of course, that story is nowhere near as wondrous. And I'm sorry, I'm, I'm dropping back because I was, you know, unable to talk about this when I was laid up. You, we have said more than a million times during the Trump presidency, you can't make this up. I mean, if a screenwriter were to write this up and send it over to some studio, they'd say, are you kidding me? You know, there has to be some, uh, some sense of, uh, you know, some reality uh, working here. I mean, this is too broad. It's too slapstick. It's too ridiculous. No, it's not. It just keeps getting more so. And you know where I'm heading. When Trump's unbelievable clown car of a legal team announced they were going to have a press conference. This is when they were going after the votes in Philly. And the press conference would be at the Four Seasons. Well, the assumption being, of course, the Four Seasons Hotel. No, it was the Four Seasons Total Landscaping shop in a rundown Philly neighborhood next to a sex shop, a crematorium, and a jail. And there stood Rudy. You can't make that up. Who? Has the question ever been answered? Who the hell decided that this press conference that was actually saying that the election in the United States had been rigged and they had proof it had been rigged, and this was the president's own lawyer, that it should be held at Four Seasons Total Landscaping next to the sex shop and crematorium? Who? Well, I got to tell you, Four Seasons Total Landscaping is is thrilled. I mean, they are now marketing um, T-shirts that say "Make America Rake Again" and "Lawn and Order." I love it. Yeah, can't make it up. And then, of course the pictures that will live in infamy of Rudy Giuliani a few days later, literally melting in front of the cameras as disgusting dye in rivulets poured down both sides of his face. First of all, I have a question about that. I mean, I used to color my hair. Uh, you know, an awful lot of people who do. I have never in my life seen hair dye do that. 
What's he using? What was what did he paint it on? I don't even understand. How the hell does that happen? What was that? You can't make it up. And then the topper, relatively recently, was putting Trump in front of that silly little desk with the big seal on it, with his knees barely able to fit under it, sitting in the... And here's the thing. I, when I first saw that picture, thought it was Photoshopped. Somebody was making fun of him, that he was being, you know, downsized and on his way out. And then it turns out to be true. Somebody actually put that little set together and this guy, Donald Trump, who we are told if he has any skills, the skills are as essentially a television producer. He knows how to write these scripts and keep it going, you know, no matter how ridiculous and uh, outside of the realm of reality they become. And he, seeing that, actually sat down. Unbelievable. I've got a caller, I see. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hey, Lynn. I hope you're feeling better. But I wanted to tell you, I told you so. I told you Biden was going to win, didn't I? No, you have the absolute line. right. I've been, I, I, you can absolute, thank you so much. You turned out to be absolutely I still think right. you're going to pull the Senate off. How's that? <laughs> I do. Well, I think I you do. might be. I, boy, I hope. I hope. Wouldn't that be? Now, that house, would be. I don't know what the hell happened with the house. That there threw me off. I don't know. But well, I, know I think what it showed, my guess is what it showed is that a lot of the people, uh, those suburban folks especially, who really could not stomach Donald Trump, voted for Biden, but they still wanted to vote Republican. So down ballot, they voted yeah, Republican. Okay. Yeah. So um, Trump was the gift. <laughs> he was the one. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, maybe we could win one of them. I think maybe the woman might go, but I don't see knocking off that Purdue. But you know what? Who, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? I'll tell you, though, if it's just a one, if we even win one of those, they've only got one vote majority. And uh, that might give some wiggle room to, um, you know, a Republican who wants to, in some instances, do the right thing and will vote with the Democrats. Right. You don't know. But th- that, this definitely was the election that was, like Biden said, a soul of the country. If we didn't change it, we were doomed. We were so doomed. I mean, yeah. my God, who, who knows what happened? I mean, people don't realize how lucky we thought it's a bullet, a big bullet. I mean, jeez. Um, yeah. And it was it's still you know, too close for comfort. You know, no, I and, and the you thing is you're absolutely Yeah. <laughs> I just wonder though, again, we might have dodged the bullet, but the all those people and that yeah. whole apparatus that keeps lying to them is intact and has gotten yeah. even more crazy. Yeah, I don't know. So they ain't going anywhere. They live here. Yeah, I know. I live in Beaver County, so 
Oh, oh I can't stand it. It's, uh... Well, you know, I live in the east end of Pittsburgh, which is Biden country, and I live on a sort of a little street, but there's one guy who moved here. has his Trump uh, things in the yard. And then in his second floor window, he has this huge uh, flag, you know, which means he's not getting any light in that room anymore. He's got it pasted up against the window. And I'm not sure what that flag represents. Where the stars are, it's black. And it's got some blue and black and then some other color at the bottom for the stripes. What the hell is that? And he moved into a, 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 into this neighborhood of, you know, all the people he must hate. I, why would you do that? Oh, my God. But there you go. They're everywhere, I'm telling oh. you. And some, and some of them, unlike him, do not have the courage to fly their colors. Yeah. No. That's true. Well, I feel for you out there in Beaver. <laughs> I'd tell you, you know, you'd be surprised. That there's a lot of Biden signs. I have. Well, sure. Yard. Sure. And, uh, sure. But I just, I think it's Beaver is the stronghold. I think there's a lot of Republicans right in Beaver. That's what causes the, mm-hmm. the outer areas. I don't know as much, but you can't go through Beaver without seeing Trump signs. It's unbelievable, but. Well, it's good to know they're all miserable. Yeah, but my sign said Biden for Pennsylvania. Didn't say anything about Beaver County. What? Your son said what? I don't understand. My my sign, it said... Oh, your sign. Biden for, Biden for Pennsylvania instead of Biden for Beaver County. I was, I'm not worried about Beaver County. I was worried about Pennsylvania. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And Great. Then, yeah. Both for corner land that helped too. Uh huh. Jeez, that was scary initially. Boy, it just looked. Oh my God. Anyway, we came yeah, through. Was, we did it. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> okay. Phew. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Um. So, uh, little Tony just found out I was back. Hi. Yeah, I'm back. So. I'm I'm still, you know, I'm I'm unable to do a lot of stuff. I had my spine sort of nailed together and so I can't bend. And let me tell you, when you can't bend, <laughs> you can't do an awful lot of things. So I got one of those grabber things, you know, that I guess litter picker uppers would use. And and man, that's my uh I, you know, that's the greatest tool I've ever had. I mean, it keeps me relatively um, independent. You know, I, I I even am able to like load and unload my dishwasher using it. Haven't broken anything yet, but I mean, everything takes a long, long, long time. But then what the hell do I have to do? So um, yeah, my surgery apparently went well. I just want to say this. I don't know how anybody gets addicted to Oxycontin. Um, 
that's poison to me. I couldn't tolerate it. Um, it made me so ill that I was off all the painkillers within three days of the surgery because I couldn't tolerate them. I'd rather have pain than what they did to my body. So um, God forbid I ever am in like extraordinary pain because I can't. Why don't they come up with something inside these opioids? They really don't have a, anything good because I know I'm not alone in uh, being essentially allergic to them. God. Anyway, what else we got here? Oh, um, I, do you mind if I, I read something that really, um, I thought was really good. And here again, it's, it's written by a Republican. Um, a Republican who hated Trump from day one, and obviously a, a never Trumper Republican, um, who I don't know if he'd even still call himself a Republican, but he wrote it in the Republican site uh, that was, uh, I think, uh, the site that, uh, what's his name, Bill Crystal uh, put together. So he's a never Trump, it's called the Bulwark. So these are these conservative Republicans of the old school <laughs> with whom we used to disagree vociferously, but who turn out to at least be adults and, and acknowledge reality, right? So they, um, some of their, what they say, um, to me, almost carries more weight because they're talking about their own. They're talking about the party that they served, belonged to uh, forever, and um, have been repelled, repulsed, frightened by. And see, those people aren't going anywhere either. So I don't know what happens. Do we end up with a third party somewhere, a sort of more moderate, uh, moderate to conservative normal party? And you have what is now the Republican Party becoming just an obvious authoritarian anti-democratic party. And then we'd have the fractious, raucous, you know, Democrats. Um, I, I don't know. I can't imagine. But I, I found this guy's thoughts um, so interesting <laughs> and his sort of summation of what has happened uh, so compelling and coherent that I thought I might share it with you. I and I hope you don't mind. I'll try not to interrupt it. I'll try. It's not the whole thing. I'm. I've just highlighted certain things. Okay. The guy's name is Richard North Patterson, and I believe he writes. He's a best-selling novelist, so maybe you've uh, maybe you've read some of his work. He's a lawyer um, and uh, whatever. Here we go. Uh, he says that uh, Donald Trump inflicted on us a presidency which was ignorant, cruel, reckless, lawless, divisive, and disloyal. Mendacity and bigotry 
became the mode of communication between America's president and his party's base. I mean, we know that now, but just think of that. We had a president, still do, whose sole communication was based on lying, on lies and on bigotry. Comes down to those two things. Those are the biggies. Mendacity, lying, and bigotry. But then this guy makes clear, and this is what we all have to know to steal ourselves for what is still with us. He says, Trump did not materialize from the ether. He rose from a political party bent on thwarting demographic change by subverting the democratic process. And that's what I talked about before. That they're losing, they can see all the brown and black people and women gaining power. They can see their power ebbing. And Donald Trump spoke to them from day one. Because this, the Republican base, is millions of Americans addicted to white identity politics and steeped in religious fundamentalism and suffused with authoritarian cravings. A party which infected now by Trumpism now spreads these multiple malignancies Since the civil rights revolution triggered the Democrats to disavow their Southern racist base and brought all those resentful Southern racist whites into the Republican Party, that was because of LBJ and the Civil Rights Act he signed in the 60s, okay? And it's since then, it's been since the 60s that the Republican Party has been the party that understands its power is to cater to white anxiety, white grievance. And Trump's transformative contribution to this Republican march has been to make that racial antagonism overt. A badge of pride that bonds him to his followers and makes them adore him. There was a poll released last week that specifically was looking at what do these Fox News Republicans think? Well, it's daunting. 
90% of Fox News Republicans believe that police killings of blacks are isolated incidents. 90%. 58% of these white Republicans think that whites are victimized by racial discrimination more than blacks are. They think whites are victimized by racial discrimination. 58% of them think that. The majority do. Only one-third think blacks are discriminated against. What do they want? Two-thirds of them want to bar all refugees. A majority, 53%, say it's fine separating children from their parents if the family enters a country without permission. Seventy-three percent of Fox News Republicans believe that white Christians suffer from a lot of societal discrimination. And that's more than double who say that black people do. So make no mistake, again, forget reality. This is their reality. They are the blacks. They are the ones being discriminated against, whose freedoms are denied, who don't have their civil liberties. That's where the war on Christmas comes from. My God, somebody says happy holidays to them and they decide they're persecuted. These are hair trigger millions of Americans who are so aggrieved they've lost their friggin' minds. So make no mistake, the Republican Party, the GOP, is now the party of white identity. And because it is, it knows, at least the ones who are still capable of thinking, that they cannot survive the changing demographics, which are clearly making this country into a multiracial country. And that fear of displacement helps explain the profound emotional connection between Trump and these white identity Republicans. Their loyalty is not the political philosophy that you, you know, used to think of as Republican conservatism. It has nothing to do with it. This Republican Party is now a party with a visceral sense of racial, religious, and cultural identity and the need to preserve it. It is a party that is instinctively anti-democratic and authoritarian. Witness the continuing efforts of their authoritarian president refusing to concede a clear election loss, a loss of eight by eight million votes.
here's another quote, just because we have to understand where we're, who we're living with here. And I am not one to say we have to understand them because they are delusional and frightening, frightening to me. And I'm not going to waste my time understanding their needs or being sympathetic to them because that would require me to be sympathetic to their racist grievance. And I am not at all. And Christian fundamentalism here is a big part of this, too. So Christian nationalism is, uh, you know, binds a whole bunch of these folks and understand that they not only get their information from Fox News and right-wing radio and all of that, but they get it from religious platforms religious networks and their faith leaders. There was a report after the election, November, a week after the election, a prayer gathering organized by the unbelievably right-wing white nationalist family resource council, research council. And the speakers, many of them said things like, I'm going to quote Joe Biden's election will embody the whole godless ideology that has wanted to swallow our homes, destroy our marriages, throw our children into rivers of confusion. This is an ideology that is anti-Christ, anti-biblical to its core. The only way this party survives is by suppressing the non-white electorate's vote. And they've been trying mightily for years and years and years to do that. Gerrymandering, voter purges, uh, closing polls in minority precincts, this whole nonsense um, since the election. And it works to a large degree. Here's just one example. Let me give you this. 2018, okay? That was that wave election where a whole bunch of uh, Democrats won. The electorate in Wisconsin gave Democrats 53% of the vote, a majority. But listen to what that 53% of the vote did for the Democrats. Nothing. Because they lost with that 53%. Because of gerrymandering, the Republicans took 63 of the 99 seats in the state assembly. 63 of 99 seats, even though they lost. The Republicans took 11 of the 17 seats up for the state Senate, even though they'd lost. 
and they took five of the state's eight congressional districts, even though a majority of Wisconsin voters had voted against them. That's how gerrymandering works. It is undemocratic. I see I have callers. I guess I should let you guys in. Are you still there? Hello. Hello, Lynn. Welcome back. Thank you. Roger from Belleville. Hi. Hi. I, I have to say, um, I, when you're talking about painkillers, um, many years ago, um, I I had tore my calf muscle. And I was in a lot of pain for about three or four weeks. And I was given, um, sorry, um, Vicodin. I love drinking, but I don't mm-hmm. like that feeling. I don't know. I don't. I don't get it either. But anyway, um, sorry, my dog's. Okay. But anyway, that's okay. He's not bothering you. Back to being the, the racist thing. <clears throat> you can't have a conversation with anybody about that anymore because mm-hmm. that's just a, a roll your eyes. You you hate. You know, you, you, why do you hate us Republicans just because of our, our political stances? And it's like, it's a real thing that needs to be addressed. But if you do it, it just, it just creates such a visceral reaction. <clears throat> and I'm not sure what, how do you, how do you deal with I that? I don't do you know. Just wait for the young people and the minorities I don't know. to take power and just say, and wait for them to die off because these people are having children too, which bothers I know. me. You know, I having a lot of babies, too. So anyway, I mean. No, I know. But we, we do need to at least acknowledge what we've got here in this country. And if Democrats don't come out to vote like they did in this national election, in every election, every local election, this is our job now. Forget those aggrieved, delusional white Republicans and work on our own to understand that every election, however seemingly lowly, they need to vote. That's how Republicans started to get the power in the state legislatures that allowed them to gerrymander everything and deprive so many people of their of their right to vote. We need to start at the bottom, school board, state legislative races, we need to work our tails off from now until we can get a handle on this. And that's going to be hard because our side doesn't seem to have that kind of stick to because we're not true believers like, like white evangelicals are. We don't go to church all the time and get, you know, our marching orders. We don't, we don't, have that kind of organization and that's that's a problem because uh we're, we're, our, pro, our, our problem is our strength which is we're too diverse i guess maybe yeah well yes i mean that's true too hey let me go because time's really uh, and i've got a bunch of people online roger nice to talk right, to you back. I'll talk. thank you bye bye hello hello you there Hello, hello. Say hello. Did you hang up? Maybe they hung up. 
Oh, I'm sorry, Roger. They hung up. I wouldn't. Uh... Anyway, it's almost time. Uh, this guy said even more, but I mean, I think he's, um, you know, he talks about um, the Republicans need to feed this constant sense of rage um, among their people. Uh, it's a business model that's gone back, you know, from Rush Limbaugh on. It's why AM radio became uh, the ju juggernaut it, it became, because what they were selling was, was grievance and rage. And um, so this didn't all just happen. They built this sort of infrastructure. And the people who have had this poison poured into their heads um, are gone. They've, they've, they've been taken from us, but they're dangerous uh, because they are in a constant state of sort of delusional rage. And you see, Trump now can't really go away. That's why he's already saying he's going to run in four years. And even the fact that he's just saying that will prevent all of these cowards in his party from jumping in themselves. So I think you'll see an intent on his part to hang on to the party. And he could well be able to do it. Um, and all this, of course, fed by what this guy calls his manifest psychological illness. His imperishable narcissism, his eradicable drive to be noticed, his relentless need to dominate. Television turned this moral pygmy into a mythic figure, and he will not let go. And this cult of his will stay with him. The forces of whiteness, the evangelicals, the conservative Catholics, the Tea Party crowd. That is your Republican Party now. And even though these Republicans who didn't like him but went along with him think they can now turn the page and reclaim their party, they can't. They have no say in the matter because their party belongs to him. And it belongs to him because he has given their base what they want. I've got callers back. If I do, hello? Hello? Okay, I'm sorry. Amy, those aren't callers. Amy's trying to talk to me and I'm not, uh... no, no callers. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Oh, you know what? I'm seeing it's somebody else. Never mind. Never mind. I'm all mixed up. Thank you for your kind uh, thoughts to those who have wished me well and and um, welcomed me back. And uh, I guess we'll try to do this now. Susan will be on tomorrow. 
be well, be safe. <sighs> okay. Talk to you tomorrow. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.